This show is brought to you in part by the University of Advancing Technology. UAT is a unique technology-infused private college that was founded by a geek for other geeks. Our mission is to educate students in the fields of advancing technology to become innovators of the future. UAT's campus culture is devoted to continually nurturing a thriving geek community where everyone's personal lives and professional aspirations revolve around technology. The beginning of the 21st century is an exciting time to be in the technology community. Current subjects of ongoing research and scholarship at UAT include robotics and embedded systems, artificial life programming, information and network security, game development, and other areas of advanced technology. Check them out on the web at www.uat.edu. Shoutcast streaming provided by Versus the World Productions, www.vtwproductions.com. Hi, this is Will Wheaton from Radio Free Burrito, and you are listening to Versus the World Radio. Hi, guys, how are you? Thanks for coming out. There's so many choices you've got and so many things to do. And so hopefully we'll have fun here today and, and, uh, and I'll learn something. Hopefully you can teach me something because that's why I'm here. All right. Brief introduction. Brief introduction. Um, Mr. McNeil was born in Raleigh, North Carolina and grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, where he got bitten by the acting bug performing in The Wizard of Oz. He... <laughs> It's an old story. Happens to everybody. <laughs> the old Wizard of Oz story. Yeah. Um, he moved to New York to start his acting career and ended up going to Juilliard for a couple of years. I did. Yeah. Uh, after that, he starred as Charlie Brent on All My Children. Oh. <laughs> oh, little Charlie Brent from next door. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll just throw out comments as you go. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, let's see, where was it? Charlie I? never got the girl, by the way. He was like the nice guy that never got the girl. We really, I learned it's not good to be the nice guy. <laughs> That's the lesson there. Um, movie credits include Masters of the Universe, Frighteners Air Force One. Uh, That's not true. Hey, I didn't catch that. What? Somebody put Frighteners Air Force One. Frighteners and Air Force One on my IMDb, which I've never touched. And that's not true. I don't know where they got that. I didn't do Frighteners or Air Force One. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I don't, you know, IMDb, is that where you got that from? Um, IMDb and Wikipedia and one other page. Wow. Triple checked. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I didn't do the Frighteners. <laughs> I didn't do Air Force One. I don't know who put that on my IMDb and someone, and I don't know how to correct it because I don't do that, so maybe you guys can, see I told you I was here to learn from you. Uh, yeah. Okay, um, television, All My Children, Quantum Leap, Star Trek Next Generation, yes, Star Trek true. Voyager, yes. directing with Star Trek Enterprise, The, Chuck, Desperate Housewives, wow I have Chuck twice. Yeah. Um, theater. I've directed it twice. <laughs> at least. Theater credits include the Fantastics, the 4-H Club, Into the Woods. Yes, Into the Woods was great. Writing credits include Nine Millimeters of Love yes. and The Battery. I didn't write The Battery. That's not true. IMDb again. That's not true. IMDb. I know. Steals it. See, you can't trust everything you read on the internet. Just, that's the lesson there. 
Did you produce the battery? I produced the battery, and I produced 9mm of love, and I wrote 9mm of love. I didn't write the battery. A man named Rob Chernow, who is now an executive at Lifetime, but he, he was a History Channel executive for a long time, and an aspiring, very talented writer. Rob Chernow wrote the, the battery. And Joshua Jackson, who's on Fringe now, Josh was in my movie. Um, he was a 17-year-old young actor who didn't really know what he was doing with his life, and I heard he was a really talented kid, and I went and picked him up. He didn't have a car. I picked him up at his apartment, and, and we had a great breakfast, and he's like, sure, I'll do your movie. Never read my script, never. He was just like, yeah, you're, you seem cool. I'll do your movie. <laughs> he did my little film for, uh, we shot for a week, and then on the last day, he said, he said, I got this audition tomorrow from, for this, like, soap opera kind of show. He said, it's called Dawson's Creek. <laughs> so he's like, I don't even know if I want to do it well. You know, he went on to do very well, so. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll keep going. I'll keep interrupting. Um, <laughs> well, something. Okay. Oh, while living in New York, um, Ian's wife, Carol, started the theater group for inner city youth called Real Play Productions. That's true. Yes, I got another one. Yes. <laughs> Mostly right. You've done very well. <laughs> Considering we only met five minutes ago. Has it been that long? Wow. Yes, I know. It, it seems like a lifetime. I'm sure. <laughs> and um, currently lives with his wife and three children? Well, yes, I have three children, but they're getting big, so one's gone, and the other one's about to leave in August, so, yeah. One and a half children. One and a half children, yeah. <laughs> in L.A. Yeah, yeah. So, Robert Duncan McNeil, ladies and gentlemen. Yay, nice work. There's, there's so many microphones up here, I don't know. There's, like, standing microphones and little mini microphones, and... They are all I don't know what to... Hello. Hello. Uh, okay. Okay. I can juggle. I, did you know I? Don't want to uh, so what do we do? What do we talk? They asked me to come talk about. I think the purpose of this seminar was to talk about producing and directing. Is that what you guys understand? No. Oh. I, just here to see me. All right. Well, then I juggled for you. I, um, how many people juggle in this room? How many? Wow, that's not many. I would highly recommend juggling. I'll tell you why. It's very relaxing. Am I right, the people that juggle? It's good therapy, exactly. I remember I was a teenager and somebody taught me, a, I, I can't juggle these because they're not very aerodynamic, as, as the jugglers in the room will attest to. I'm just, you know, if there's anything I, I can communicate to you today that's really important, it's learn to juggle. <laughs> and I'm really glad we had this time together. So talk about that. Um, okay then, so we're not really talking about producing and directing, although I'd be happy to do that if you like, or we can just talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, yeah. Back up here. Uh, we could open the floor up to questions. Yeah, we now. can start with questions and um, see where that leads. I have a couple that I'd like to ask you. Yes, please. So, you've 
acted in, on stage and screen, drama, comedy, and musicals, produced, yep. written, directed. What's your favorite job in show business? <laughs> changing. <laughs> How's that? I like changing. Um, I don't know what my favorite job is. I mean, I, you know, all the... All the things that I've been able to do, and, and I, was, I was having dinner with William Atherton last night, who was in the Ghostbusters movie. Um, did anyone meet Bill? Yeah? Yeah, there's a Ghostbuster right there. William Atherton and I did a play together 22 years ago or so, and, uh, and I really thought he was such a talented guy. And Anyway, we were talking about careers, you know, and here's William Atherton, who's been in so many incredible movies, and he's going, I can't... I still have to pinch myself because I can't believe after 45 years in this business, for him, um, that he's made a living at this. He's been so lucky to be able to be in these movies, Die Hard or Ghostbusters or Sugarland Express or all the movies he's done, and, and he's made a living at it. And I kind of feel the same way. It's like I started doing this when I was 17 right out of high school, and I feel I pinch myself sometimes when I drive through the Warner Brothers gate. Like I'm still... I'm a grown-up, and I get to do this for a living. It's incredible. Um, I like all the jobs that I've done. When I was first acting, I, I loved the theater, and that's what I started out thinking I would do. And I, and I was able to achieve some of my dreams. I got to work with Stephen Sondheim, who was a, a hero of mine, uh, twice on Into the Woods, the first national tour. And then we did a workshop of a musical he never completed called Muscle. Um, so that was a dream. I got to perform on Broadway in a play called Six Degrees of Separation. So that was a goal, to be on Broadway once in my life, and I did it. Uh, I was in the movie Masters of the Universe. I wanted to be in a big Hollywood movie as one of the leads, and I got to do that once. You know, I, I don't have a million movie credits, but I, got, I, you know, I did a big movie. Um, and then the TV shows, you know... Um, so I, I feel like I've done a little bit of a lot of things, I, you know. And that's kind of defined my career. But it's been fun. It's kept it interesting. So what else you got? Um, well, talking about movies and theater, what's the biggest difference that you see between live medium and recorded mediums? I still, as an actor, I still love the live theater. Because as an actor, you're telling the story from beginning to end. You're kind of doing this dance with the audience where you feel them if they laugh like you want them to, you know it's working. If they're not laughing, you know it's, you know. Um, I, as an actor, I always love live theater. And I, um, and I also really love the rehearsal process. I love just that time where there was no audience. There was nothing but you and the writer and the other actors and you're just working out what the most interesting way to tell this story is or what was a surprising approach to things. Uh, once we opened a play, um, it wasn't quite as interesting. I love the rehearsal process. So as an actor, I think the theater was something that I, I felt most comfortable in. That's why when I started doing uh, television and film, I think it was not as interesting. It, it lacked that sort of uh, uh, excitement of the live performance and, and the control. Because you're really, as a, as an, uh, in a TV show, you're giving the control to, to the editors. You're giving the control to the director or the cameraman. So, um, so I think that's why I, I kind of moved out of the acting for camera and, and got, I wanted control. So 
Now I get to boss people like Adam Baldwin around. And, you know. I mean, how many people get to do that, really? True. Yeah, and, and, and he doesn't shoot them. <laughs> yeah, so. Sir. Yes, sir. Open up the floor. Equally lack of feedback TV and film, or does one deader than the other when it comes to getting feedback? Getting feedback from the audience? I think one reason I love working in television is the pace of it. Uh, some people can't handle that and they get uh, nervous because it, it's fast. There's no time to, to um, you know, sit around and try things different ways. You know, you're, you're moving fast. Uh, as well as, like you're suggesting, the, the feedback. You get the feedback pretty quickly, too. You know, you get... The shows on the air and with the internet now, the blogs and the, and the chat rooms and all those things, I mean, we'll hear what the audience thinks about a, an episode immediately. And I love that feedback. I love that sort of uh, hearing how, you know, we, we try to tell a story the way we, the best we can and the best we can understand it. And then you put it out there and sometimes the way it's interpreted and experienced by the audience is very different than what you thought you were doing, you know? And, and it's really interesting to hear those comments of what people respond to or what they like or don't like. So uh, I think television is great for that sort of interaction with the, with the fans and with the audience, more than movies. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I don't think they wanted us to do it, no. No. Just like now the shoes are reversed, I'm a producer, and you know, now there's actors coming to me and people coming to me going, I want to direct, and I'm like thinking, no, 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 don't. Why do you want to do Everybody wants to direct. Um, uh, I don't know what it was about the environment. I mean, I think Star Trek was a very um, classic sort of storytelling structure. You know what I mean? It was very traditional. There was always a moral to the story. There was always a lesson learned. It was all framed in this kind of on-the-road adventure, for at least on Voyager, you know. Um, but all the Star Trek shows, I think, have that quality of exploration being on the road. Um, I don't know why that kind of uh, gave rise to so many directors, other than I think there was a classic sort of structure to the storytelling, I think, you know, probably blame it on Leonard Nimoy or somebody who started that pattern way back when with the original series. Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton all started directing. So there was a, there was this idea in the Star Trek world that you could, because of the comfort of the franchise, that it kind of allowed you to make a series for seven years, that people could grow and change and try new things. Um, but it, it was great. I, I owe a lot. I, I owe everything to Star Trek and and the things they that they allowed me to do and learn. Yeah, it was great. Before we take another question, uh, I had the tech guys in the back remind me that this is being uh, broadcast over internet radio. Oh, cool. So the questions do need to be addressed to the microphone. If you have a question for Mr. McNeil, please line up at the microphone. And we'll try and get this on the air. Yeah, we have lots of microphones, as I mentioned. I mean, they're everywhere. I have a couple of microphones in my pockets, so we need more. 
We're on the radio, wow. Hi, radio people. This is the most beautiful audience I've ever seen. If you could only see them through the radio, they're all stunningly gorgeous people. Right? Right, you owe me. Okay. My question is, who is your favorite character that you've ever played? My favorite character I ever played... I did a production... See, I, I feel like I always get boring answers. I did a production of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and it was really amazing. Um, I had... Uh, I, I played across from an actress named Megan Follows, who was in Anne of Green Gables, which was a very famous Canadian uh, book and movie franchise and, and Megan is a phenomenal stage actress and so um, I loved that production. Uh, it was at the John Anson Ford Amphitheater in Los Angeles which is about a 1200 seat amphitheater uh, near the by the Hollywood Bowl. It was a beautiful setting in the Hollywood Hills. Gorgeous production. I love playing Romeo. It's just one of those roles, you know. It's phenomenal to, to be able to do it. Um, in terms of roles on screen, um, Tom Paris probably, honestly, yeah. Thank you. I mean, Tom Paris was awesome because he, he grew and changed, you know. Um, they had started originally, they'd asked me to, to kind of come on as the character that I did on Next Generation, which was uh, Nick Locarno was the character's name, and uh, I felt like he was a real jerk, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, you know, I, I got what they were kind of saying, but I, I disagreed that that's really who they wanted, because he was not a very likable person. I always felt like Nick Locarno was smooth on the outside and really rotten on the inside. And I thought Tom Paris was kind of rotten on the outside, but pretty good on the inside, you know? And I felt like that was, I got what they meant, but that's how I interpreted, you know, the, the new character. That, and, I think, and I think that came true. You know, that Tom Paris started out kind of kind of a jerk, or at least most people thought he was that. And I think over time, he, he gained a sense of humor, um, which I thought was really important. Um, I would have loved to have seen a lot more. You know, I thought, I thought the, uh, the last feature really captured that humor and the fun that I think Star Trek uh, is when it's at its best, you know. Um, so I, I always wanted fun and funny in, in Star Trek. But uh, yeah, Tom was great. That was a great character. He changed. He got to do all kinds of fun things. Uh, I love the Captain Proton little arc, <laughs> you know. That was awesome. I love 30 Days when he got locked up and had to kind of, and got demoted and, um, I love Parturition, where Neelix and I took care of the baby chicken. Um, it was really, it was great. I love my relationship. You know, at first they made me a nurse in the sick bay, which Bob Picardo, of course, just, you know, teased me to no end that I was his nurse. And, and they wrote some of that in the show. But I, and at first, honestly, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm the nurse. But then... It really developed into an interesting relationship with the doctor, and that was fun. So, yeah, he was a great character. A lot of fun. 
Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Actually, speaking of relationships, um, I was just wondering whether or not you've maintained any of the friendships from Star Trek. Yes. Yes, uh, I have. The guys, all of the guys on the show, we get along incredibly well. Not to say that I don't get along with the, the ladies. <laughs> it's a little more complicated with all the ladies. But the guys, we... Uh, <laughs> you find that funny. <laughs> Why are you laughing so hard? Wasn't I politically careful? Yes. yes. It's a little more complicated, is all I said. Uh, that's all. I'm sticking to it. Um, the guys, we all get together still about once or twice a year. We, uh, we started tradition right after the show was uh, finished where we, we went to a restaurant called The Palm in, in West Hollywood and we had a great steak dinner. And it was such a great night with all the guys. We said, we should do this again. So about six months later, we did it again. And now we have like a frequent buyer card at The Palm and we go there a couple times a year. And, and uh, it's great. It's phenomenal. We, we have a blast. We rehash old stories and catch up on what everybody's doing and, you know, um, how everybody's kids are and how their lives are. It's, it's awesome. So, and then in terms of the ladies, I, love, I honestly do love the ladies and I have great relationships with all of them more individually. The guys are kind of a one big pod. And then, and then there's the ladies, which are a little more kind of one-on-one, -on -one, but... Uh, every yeah, we had a great cast, really great cast. Yes, sir. What's the most, what's uh, the one thing that you enjoy most about working with Chuck, and where do you see the show going after this last season? Uh, what's the most fun thing yeah. on Chuck? The thing you enjoy the most. The thing I enjoy the most is the, are, are the people. Honestly, the, it is one of the best crews I've ever worked with. And I know that's always kind of a little boring for people to hear about the crew, the gaffer and the camera guys and the ADs, because they, they're not in front of the camera and you don't see how hard those guys work and how important they are to what, what you're seeing on screen, how much they support the actors and, and uh, the writers with how things are done. But our crew is phenomenal. And I love working with those guys. Uh, we, we also love spending time with each other. Uh, I started a, I'm a mountain biker. Uh, anything with two wheels I love, by the way. Um, I just bought a motorcycle this week. I have to admit it. I bought a motorcycle. I had motorcycles for a long time. I got rid of my motorcycle about eight years ago. And then we did the finale of Chuck. And there was a motorcycle in it. I don't know how many, how many people saw the finale of Chuck this so a good number. So you know there was the motorcycle that Chuck gets on to go chase down Volkov and the bad guys, and it was a big action sequence. Well, I was directing that episode, and so when the transportation department brought the motorcycles for us to look at different motorcycles, of course I had to say, you know, I think I should test that bike and uh, <laughs> drive it around the Warner Brothers lot just to make sure it can, you know, handle the story. Uh, <laughs> So I, I ended up riding a bunch of motorcycles uh, that were in the running for the Chuck motorcycle. And uh, anyway, we made the episode, and then we finished up the season, and I just kept thinking, boy, that was really fun. <laughs> I forgot how much fun it was to, to ride a motorcycle. So I, anyway, yeah, I bought it. What was I talking about before this? <laughs> I got a motorcycle. That's pretty cool. I don't know. What was I talking about? Oh, Chuck. Chuck. <laughs> Um, 
Where do I see it going? Yes, the crew is great and the cast is great. I meant to, I meant to talk about them too. The cast is phenomenal. Zach, everybody is, is great. Um, um, they're funny, they have huge hearts, they work harder than any other cast without complaining I've ever worked with in my life, so I love that. Uh, where do I see Chuck going? I think that, you know, Chuck in the first season, uh, we didn't know what the show was. We were trying to figure it out. So we kind of, uh, um, we uh, created Fulcrum as the bad guys. We, we had kind of standalone bad guy episodes with these comedy stories, and that was our structure. We were like, we didn't have big story arcs big mythology planned yet. We didn't know how this show was going to work. So we were trying to figure that out. Uh, as we got into seasons two, three, and four, we realized that the big mythology was, was interesting to people, that they liked to see things, little kind of Easter eggs that paid off later on and setting up relationships. So we kind of got into that and allowed the mythology to really grow and the characters to change. But I think that going into this fifth season, that we're going to go back a little bit more to the first season model, which is a little more fun, a little more standalone, less complicated mythology, although there is definitely going to be a mythology thread, and that's going to be kind of driven by the suggestion that this whole thing, uh, that Chuck was told everything that happened for the last four years has been part of a big, bigger plan. Uh, and so that's going to be kind of Chuck trying to figure out what this plan was and how, what this kind of conspiracy was. So there's going to be a conspiracy kind of theme, perhaps. I'm sure that's going to drive his character in many ways. But I think we're going to go back to a little more of the fun standalone episodes. There's great opportunity with Chuck owning the Buy More and, you know, and the nerds involved and and getting a whole new castle this next year. And I don't know. I mean, we, we start figuring out our stories in about two weeks. So um, if you've got any ideas, you know. Because <laughs> uh, we've been doing this four years. I, we're running out of ideas. Uh, so send them to Robbie McNeil, care of Warner Brothers, Burbank. Uh, no, it'll, it'll be great. We'll, we got a great team of writers, and um, they start working a couple of weeks. And... Uh, and they'll f we'll figure it all out. Cool. Yes, sir. Oh. Okay, this is about um, Voyager. Yes. And um, I've seen all seven seasons, and uh, I will say one thing. I've, I've really take a, took a strong look at all the actors. Yeah. And all the characters. But you were consistent right from the beginning. Oh, and you wow. were, now, and it's a, it's a for, real, for real compliment. You were spot on. I mean, uh, just, like, just the way you brought your character and you, know, you evolved the character. And, well, thank and, you very much. Um, I also felt that, I don't know if anybody shares my view on this, but I felt like Voyager picked up speed around the fourth season. Fourth, yeah. fifth, sixth, you know, it, you know, it just picked up speed. Yeah. Writing was better. I, I don't know, just a, just a gut feeling. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that, um, I think any series, that's the other thing I love about working in television, is that you're taking kind of the long approach to storytelling. And, you know, a movie, it's got to work in two hours. It's got to work right out of the gate and you gotta you gotta pick a make a choice and hope that it works whereas TV you can kind of you can kind of things can grow and change over the long run you know and, and like you said around season four I think we definitely hit our stride and there was some great storytelling in season four five six and into seven obviously and, and the Jerry Ryan episodes were very good yes I mean, the, when they brought the <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like that sort of thing. Yeah. 
those tight cat suits and, you know, sexy girls. And, no, she was great. No, but the she, Borg, yeah, the Borg episodes were great. Yeah, it was great to bring the Borg mythology into the show with that with that character in, the, in the, and yeah it was great she was awesome I loved directing her I directed a few episodes uh, someone to watch over me where she tried to learn how to date I directed that episode um, and and I resisted the impulse to say that you went right for the juggler at the uh, beginning of the yeah. your, of your sessions yes. <laughs> thank you all right yeah who's next yes sir uh, which did you enjoy directing more uh, Voyager or Enterprise of the Star Trek, which did I enjoy more, Voyager or Enterprise? Um, it was so different because on Voyager I was doing two things. I was acting and directing. So it's hard to compare them because on Enterprise I was just just there to direct. Um, boy, I don't know. I think that I really enjoyed directing Voyager because uh, because th that was like my family. You know, I really, they really were like my second family. So when they did a great job, I was just proud of them in a way that was very different than being a guest director on Enterprise or something. It's kind of how I feel on Chuck right now. You know, when you spend this much time with people, you, your highs, you feel those highs together. You feel like you're connected to them in a, in a, in a real deep way. And, and when they're having trouble, you feel for them you know, because you're connected. So um, I would say Voyager out of the Star Treks. I, I really enjoyed directing Voyager. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, out of the series of Chuck, like the whole series, which one was your most favorite or most exciting? One of my most favorite. Um, gosh, I think of moments. Uh, that's kind of how it comes to mind because there's been so many great moments in, in the show. But one of my favorite episodes was... Uh, I'll tell you two of my favorites that I directed. One was uh, Chuck versus the Honeymooners, which is when they went on the train ride through Europe and uh, finally, finally Chuck and Sarah got together. They finally got together in every way they could get together. Uh, let's just say that. And, uh, and it was fun. You saw a funny side of Sarah for the first time. It was a lightness to her character. I thought the adventure of being on a train like that through Europe, it just looked great. Uh, the fight when they fought as a team, when they were handcuffed together and fought the bad guys in the, in the cafe, was a beautifully choreographed um, fight with a great idea of them sort of being this sort of dance, this teamwork that they did. Um, anyway, I just thought that episode was really great. I also liked the Christmas episode from season two or three. Two, I think, right? Yeah, Chuck versus Santa Claus. Yeah, that was a great episode because we had the whole gang together in the Buy More. There was great comedy. Um, there was some really scary stuff with, you know, the whole Christmas tree assassination and Sarah, you know. One thing I love about Chuck is that as silly as it gets, and we get pretty silly and I think it's great. I love being ridiculously absurd. That's awesome. But then what has been incredible about it um, was that we also have these moments where the show gets so real um, you're kind of disarmed by the, the humor and then all of a sudden this moment of, of the harsh reality of what they're doing 
just kind of slaps you across the face. And that was in that Christmas tree chase because Sarah decided there that it was best to kill this unarmed man because he put her in a corner and that, that people die, um, really die in kind of a, a harsh, not so romantic way in this kind of business, in the spy business and in, in keeping people safe. And, and so I thought that was, that was a great episode because it had ridiculous humor and it also had a moment that I thought was really important for our show to keep it grounded and, and keep it with an edge. And so anyway, those are two I can think of. With yes. Chuck, I know that there was quite a roller coaster of uh, is the show going to get canceled? Is it not? How many episodes in a season? Yeah. Um, and with that or any other projects you've worked on, what's it like to be in that atmosphere? It's exhausting to be in that atmosphere because, you know, I mean, the one thing I loved about Star Trek Voyager was we kind of knew when that show started that we probably would be there for seven years. Okay. That that uh, Next Generation had done really well for seven years, that the studio was committed to it. We were launching a network, UPN at the time, that they weren't just going to throw away a network uh, quickly. So we kind of knew it was seven years, and that was a great feeling because you could, you, could, um, you could relax and, and have a little bit of a life, and having a little bit of life actually makes your work better. Uh, when you're too worried about constantly getting canceled, uh, it's not the best environment to do work, your best work in. So, yeah, it's been very tiring on Chuck not knowing, you know, we get, uh, you know, a last minute pickup against all odds, and then it's only 13 episodes, but then they pick us up, you know, after we've already planned for just 13, and then they pick us up for six more or nine more. Last year was uh, 11 more, so. Um, it's nice to know going into this one that they've said 13 episodes. We can plan for that. I keep telling Fedak we should just make 13 episodes all about a spinoff. Just make it about Morgan. The next show is called Morgan. And it's going to be awesome. <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, we'll see. Yes? Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to come and ask Mr. McNeil a question, please feel free to line up. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Got a couple of questions. Um, let's see. When you were doing Voyager and you had to, you know, you were doing directing and acting, did it get a little bit awkward working with your castmates and directing them? I mean, isn't that, you know, you go from, oh, you're one, you're one of them to, right. I'm the boss now. And, right. And I'm telling you what to do. Well, I'm pretty bossy, as you can see. I'm really, <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm a pretty tough guy. <laughs> and all, yeah. Um, <laughs> No, it was, uh, they were really great because, like I said, we, we, it was, Star Trek Voyager had such a great cast. We were so, so much like a family that everybody was really happy when I got a chance. And they knew from the beginning that I wanted to direct. I had let them know during our pilot episode that I had wanted to direct very badly. That's something I wanted to try to do and I wanted to learn anything I needed to to do that. So um, by the time in, in the second season when I got a chance to do it, they were incredibly uh, supportive. I mean, Kate Mulgrew, you know, she, she uh, the first episode I did was called Sacred Ground. And it was one where uh, the captain had to go through this sort of uh, vision quest, you know, and go on this planet and go through all these kinds of spiritual tests. Um, 
and in one of the tests I wanted when it all began I I uh, I wanted her to the, the girls that were helping her get ready for the test, I said, wouldn't it be great if there was a moment of vulnerability like Picard had in Next Gen when he was naked? Um, and I said, when, when Janeway was naked, where she was vulnerable that way, it would be great to see, and that was all my pitch. And, and, uh, and I first asked Kate if she would be interested in doing that, and she got why I wanted to do that from a from a kind of storytelling and emotional place. So she was supportive of it. And then we went and talked to the writers and they allowed us to shoot. You know, they wrote that whole beat in, mm -hmm. which I thought was really important. And, uh, but you know, I mean, Kate was not, it wasn't that she wanted to take her clothes off for a story, but she just, she, she was supportive, I guess is my point. She was willing to do something that was really unusual for, the, for a captain or a character, a female captain or, or a character. She was willing to take a risk because she was supportive. She was very supportive of, of me directing and, and, and believed in my kind of creative perspective on it. So. That's great. Yeah. Um, I hope Chuck lasts as long as Gunsmoke. Um, <laughs> but um, hey, was Gunsmoke on the bubble every year? Were they about to cancel Gunsmoke every year? <laughs> Maybe. About 20 times, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the, uh, the only th thing about Chuck, I, I just got into Chuck this year, I, you know, and uh, You're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been quite a ride. I've thoroughly enjoyed. It. I'm going to try and get the first three seasons um, on DVD. Great. Um, but the um, I, you know, pitching an idea is that if if, if the road does come to an end, we should do a uh, Chuck episode where it's 15 years down the road and. So see how everybody turned out. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Have they gone their separate ways, or are some still together? Yeah. You know, did buy more going to receivership? I don't know. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how. I like I said, I have no idea how we're going to wrap this up uh, mm -hmm. until we get in the room and and the writers kind of sit down. Right. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is I know we're going to bring back in kind of come full circle back to the buy more, bringing the stories back to the buy more and the nerd herd and that part of the, the show in a way that, that I think was, was pushed a little heavier in the first season. And uh, we're, we're going to be coming back to that. So Okay, thank Great. you. Thank you. What's that? More Jeffster. More Jeffster, yes. More music. Yeah. Love Jeffster. Well, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Yes. The first duty... I love that episode where Thank Picard you. takes Wesley down a peg, finally. Yes. Uh, but I was curious, what first got you interested in that role of Locarno in Star Trek in general? Were you, did you watch the show as a kid, or you know, was it just a job? Um, I, I wish I could say it was more than just a job, but at the time it was just a job. Um, I, my father watched the original Star Trek when I was young, and, uh, and he also watched a show called Space 1999 that was, I was a big fan of. I love Space 1999. So that was kind of my uh, sci-fi background. I, I think it was pretty typical. I wasn't a huge sci-fi fan necessarily, but I had some exposure and I enjoyed it. And uh, when Star Trek uh, The Next Generation came along as, as a job, I was actually scheduled to do a pilot for a TV show uh, around that time and it had gotten delayed. So my agents had called me and said, you know, this show, Star Trek The Next Generation, they 
it's really fun. It's kind of up and coming because it, you know, start, TNG sort of built. It didn't come out of the gate like a huge hit. Yeah, third season was yeah. where it started to pick up. Yeah, and it was, and it was just about that time. I think third or fourth season. Fourth the, season. Fourth yeah. season, right? So it just started to get some momentum when when they called me and they said, you know, it's got started to get some momentum and a lot of our. Uh, actors seem to really enjoy it. It's fun. It's kind of theatrical, like your you know theater background, and could be fun for you. And they said it'll just keep you busy before this pilot starts filming. So I kind of took it as that, literally just a job. Okay, you know, sure. I, I'm not working, and it's always good to work. So uh, I went and did it. I just had so much fun. I really, I I felt so at home there. I don't know how else to describe it. I just felt like the the storytelling fit me and my taste. The actors were great. Patrick Stewart was awesome. Um, uh, Will Wheaton and I got along great. We stayed in touch after filming it for a long time. Um, it was great. But I thought that'd be it. You know, I honestly I thought, okay, you guest stars, you usually just kind of do an episode. And so, um, cut to a few years later. Uh, when I got a call, I was in New York doing a play, and I got a call about Voyager was casting, and, and they said, you know, we kind of want like a, a Robbie Duncan McNeil type, like what he did on The Next Gen. That's what the agents had been told, and my agent told them, they said, well, why don't you just get Robbie Duncan McNeil to do it? Then? <laughs> we have him, actually. But they did go through the casting process, saw a lot of people, and I had to come back in from New York and... Uh, and uh, I did re-audition for Star Trek. Um, and I was actually doing a, a play in New York at a theater called Second Stage. It's an off-Broadway theater that, that uh, is a nonprofit, and they didn't have any understudies. And Star Trek had called and said they wanted me to come out that week, and I knew that if I left the play, that they'd have to cancel performances or the stage manager would go on with a script in his hand, which is no good. And it was... I felt like I owed it to the play to stay there, so I told him, I said, I really would love to do your show and be on the show, but I'm responsible here in this play, and so you got to wait for about a week and a half till we finish. And I was so nervous, because I'll tell you, I needed that job really bad. <laughs> I needed, you know, I was making like $250 a week at, uh, at the play, and uh, uh, not enough to support a family on or live on, but I... I uh, I felt responsible to the play, and I just felt like it's a good karma thing to do. I should stay here, and if it's meant to be, they'll wait for me for a week and a half, and which they did. And uh, so about a week and a half later, I finished on a Sunday, and I flew out on a Monday morning and was in Paramount's offices by noon. And um, I was actually in a van. I was picked up with Ethan Phillips, who was also living in New York, and they picked us up at the airport to take us in uh, for the audition and Ethan tells the story to me still he said he said boy you sure weren't very friendly in that van yeah. <laughs> I was like I was like really he goes yeah he said I could tell you know you were nervous or you know something you know he said I tried to make jokes and you weren't laughing and and I don't remember that at all and he's right I was really because I did need the job really badly and I think because I put all this pressure on, you know, not leaving the play and, you know, all that, that I was feeling like, oh, my God, if this doesn't work out. like, So, uh, yeah, so that was Ethan Phillips' first impression of me. I was a pretty, 
pretty intense, uh, serious person in the van with him. Didn't have a good sense of humor, but... Uh, uh, well, it all worked out. It all worked Bye. out. Yeah, sure did. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Nice uh, ahoy, might I say. <laughs> to you. That's for the radio audience. She's in a pirate costume. Her name's Lucy Red. Lu what is it? Lucy Red. Lucy Red? Yes. Well, hello, Lucy Red. How are you? Um, just one quick question. It's like Oliver. I'm just, I feel like Oliver Twist. How are you? Yes. Oliver. Oliver. Okay. Um, my question is, yes. why were the first three seasons of Star Trek Voyager so creepy? Why were they so creepy? Hmm. I've never heard that before. They creeped me out as a kid. They creeped you out? Yes. They were a little darker, weren't they? Scary. Yeah, they were a little scary. Well, we were lost in the Delta Quadrant, and there's bad guy, Kazon with the bad hairdos, and, and all kinds of bad people. Yeah, they were, it was a little creepier in the beginning. I mean, you know, honestly, that's what I, I remember saying to them. I thought it was really important that we needed humor. I mean, I, I, I love what I do now because I've been doing a lot of comedies and and Chuck's a lot of fun, and um, but that's a part of my, I, I feel like I have a need for humor in my own personal life, and so if I'm gonna go to work every day, I'd like to have a little bit of that around, and I felt that way for Star Trek, like we need a little humor, and I think that's why the Doctor character started to develop and more. Captain Proton? Captain Proton <laughs> was, you know, a gr awesome idea. I wish we could have done that much more often. I, you know, I t and I told the producers, I didn't get involved in pitching a lot of ideas to the producers um, on that show, but I did really beg them to keep that Captain Proton story going because I thought it was just so rich with opportunity. And they felt like it had been so successful, they didn't want it to keep doing it and risk doing it badly. You know, So they said, we're just going to not do it anymore, which I thought was a mistake. I wish we had done, I wish we could have kept doing that as sort of just a recurring, silly, kind of alternate universe to what we really were experiencing on the ship, you know. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it got, it got funnier. It did. Which is all, my, uh, you know, thanks to me, really. <laughs> uh, it's a fact. It was, you know, no one else was funny. But thank you guys for coming out. Thank you very much. Mr. McNeil will be signing autographs later at his table down in the vendor section. Right now. Oh, yeah. Right I'm, going now. Down. I'm going down to sign autographs. and um, So you need to come down because I get very lonely if there's not people there and I can't be silly. So please come down and talk to me. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thank that's you very it. much. What? Come on down. Come talk to me in the autograph section. Thank you very much. Hi folks, this is the Emperor. I'm here to remind you to listen to the Emperor's Court every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here at vtwproductions.com. That's the Emperor's Court, your three-hour break from internet porn.